Welcome to News of the World, the podcast that tries to explain everything but never finds time to actually <laughs> get recorded. Um, we have to apologize and we, this is of course me, Tim Pritlov and uh, Mark von Rendero on the other side of the planet as usual. Hello from this side of the planet. And the side of the planet of the day is? Uh, somewhere north of Lisbon, Portugal. Aha, uh -huh, that's where you are. Yes. Um, It's very hot, like desert. This is, is the it? future desert. Oh, yeah. really? Mm -hmm. uh, we could use some of this here in Berlin. but You want to be the future desert? Actually, I'm pretty happy with it. It's not too hot. You know. mm. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, you were apologizing? We have, been, we have been missing so many dates. We really tried hard to get together, but it was an endless uh, sea of complications. Yeah. And uh, in the end, we even forgot that we... <laughs> haven't recorded for so many times now we had like two show notes for <laughs> two shows yes. so we have to cram these two shows now into one yes because it's not that the world hasn't moved on you know they're not really waiting for us that's they're what not I, no yeah not. every week i go slow down world and the world ignores me totally yeah and I it know. ignores this podcast so we have to recap a lot and None of this is actually going to be very newsy to you because <laughs> the world has been talking about it endlessly. And so we can just try to, you know, find the tiny bits of information that you haven't probably heard yet. We, could, we may become the podcast dedicated to old news. <laughs> just History channel. <laughs> <laughs> Remember two weeks ago? Let me tell you about the world. Yeah, when everything was totally different. Yeah. For so, example... For, For example, example, top of the list. And now he's, he's old. He actually turned 30 <laughs> in the time that it took for us to do this podcast. He was 29 <laughs> when he made the news. And he, he, his name is Edward Snowden. Snowden. Yes, Edward J. Snowden. Uh, yeah, he's got the J in there, like Michael J. Fox. Yes. Only less famous. For, well, we'll see. But uh, yeah, this J leak has a name. He plays a very important role in this whole thing. Okay, you're going to have to explain that. I don't know the J connection, but okay, uh, I will tell you. <laughs> there was another one. As many of you know, there is a new leak sheriff in town, and uh, his name is Edward Snowden. <coughs> and when he first did his leaking, uh, he was in Hong Kong, and uh, he rocked the world by telling us, uh, I believe he was the first to tell us about PRISM, P-R-I-S-M, not prison, we knew about prison, but PRISM which is the NSA's super spy data monitoring system that can see you in your bathtub and uh, read your <laughs> dirty laundry. Uh, and uh, when he came out, I mean, it was, a, it was a big deal. He was a subcontractor, right, who, who was working for the NSA. And basically, I mean, we've, many of us have seen that, that video that came out on The Guardian uh, where he explains how the program works a bit and how... Uh, how much information he can get and how nobody is uh, 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 safe, even the president. I think he says if he wanted to, he can yeah. find out lots of His private email. details. Yeah. And, uh, of course, immediately, uh, as a leaker, he gets accused uh, either of being a hero, but more often when you're accused of anything, you're accused of being a villain. So especially in the tradition of the U.S. Congress, m not all but many uh, are saying, of course, that he needs to be charged with revealing secrets. Uh, the president, Mr. Obama, has said a few things about him, though not many lately. Um, but it's more the senators and the lower 
the people lower on the totem pole that say Snowden bad, um, <laughs> and and have gotten quite frustrated uh, in some cases with China first. Uh, who didn't extradite him, and then he ended up in Russia. He was at the a place where we've been on occasion, the international terminal uh, at, uh, at the airport in Moscow, where people thought that he might stay in Russia. I don't think anybody thought that, really. But um, And then he was supposed to get on a plane to Cuba, and uh, Raul Castro went to the airport uh, to pick him up. He even had a little sign with hearts. And uh, there was no Snowden who arrived. And Raul Castro, it's very hard for him to draw anything these days. Yes. And uh, what a waste. But um, so now Snowden is where we don't know. But um, the, I guess the bigger question is not so much where he is, but uh, how should he be treated and seen, of course. And this is one of those classic issues of our era, just like uh, Julian Assange. Is he a hero? Is he a villain? Um, and uh, the world is once again divided, although maybe it's more America that is divided from the rest of the world because so many countries in some ways or in other ways used to seem to support Snowden. I mean, that's what I gather. Or at least they use him, you know, in order to confront the US in public like China did, yeah, celebrating yeah. him as a hero. I mean, if he would have been a Chinese guy, <laughs> you know, in New York... Who just revealed the surveillance program of the Chinese government? Hero. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> parade. <laughs> Maybe a parade. Yeah, in, in the U.S., but definitely not on yeah. China television. I mean, they wouldn't have even talked about him. But if if they would have talked about him at all, uh, he would have been like the worst guy on the planet. So, True. not much to believe, not much to draw from all these public statements by governments. The most interesting one being those of Russia. We're sort of, you know, not really in the game. Just that <laughs> Mr. Snowden just decided to land there. And uh, I don't know what he wanted. Uh, maybe he just wanted to hop on the next plane. That yeah. was sort of reported, whatever yeah. the source of this might have been. But now he's there. He's officially still in this uh, international area, in this uh, transit region of the uh, airport. Yeah. And probably held by the Russian authorities and, I don't know, maybe questioned, maybe yeah. used, maybe, I don't know, nobody knows. Um, so that's the situation. And yeah. he has done more than just revealing PRISM. He has also revealed a similar program Tempora in uh, in Britain, sort of opening up the world's eyes to the fact that total surveillance in the digital era is not just an illusion or a possibility. It's happening. It's happening right now, and it's happening in uh, in the most yeah, in the strongest way possible. Mm. Um, yep. I mean, the prism system is more about getting access to data from social networks from big providers they have been forced to uh, you know hand over user related data on any level and uh, apparently the, uh, the American public is more shocked by the fact that they are the target now too mm -hmm. and not that those you know Terrorists, people, <laughs> while the sound of terrorists is sort of said the same way 
as like 10 years ago or the 10 or 15 years ago you would have spelled or pronounced foreigners <laughs> right <laughs> true um so yeah but in the end you can ask yourself is there really an outcry i mean there's some media but right now they're more talking about snowden being on the run which and is not exciting. so much <laughs> yeah and not so much about the general question of How much do we want our states to spy on us? How much do we want uh, yeah. our privacy rights respected? And, and what happens now? This is apparently not, not happening at all. Yeah. Um, when you say Snowden is a subcontractor, for instance, it also reveals a different uh, thing here that isn't being talked about much. Because subcontractor, you know, that sounds like, oh yeah, you know, This guy was coming in every now and then, you know, <laughs> to paint, <laughs> parking his car, you know, painting the door, <laughs> something like this. But in fact, these are just outsourced people who have been working for the NSA before. This whole privatization of state um, yeah, authority uh, that you can also see in the prison system in the US, for instance. Yeah. That also happens on a level where it comes to, you know, core intelligence gathering of the state. And the, the, the problem here is, first of all, especially if you look and compare it with the, the prison system, is once you've handed over this to the private area, it becomes a business. Mm -hmm. And when it became a business, you automatically get this strong lobby that sort of wants to grow this business, you know, because it's just economics anymore. Uh, and nobody really cares so much about what actually happens there and if this is really in the context of the Constitution and so on. So that's a big, big, big problem. And in that sense, Snowden has revealed a, a very uh, a bleak picture of, of this whole situation. Yeah. And I think you're bringing up... Uh These two, uh, on the one hand, the issue of your information and privacy, but on the other hand, the privatization of, of what should be quite sensitive uh, services to begin with. Um, and then there's this third story that is probably not worthy at all, but is what the media often falls in love with uh, and, and tries to get us to fall in love with, this whole creating of a, of a larger-than-life character. I mean, I think they did it very successfully with Julian Assange, Uh, where it becomes more about the person than the real issues that the person has brought up. Um, and, 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 you know, why is that? Well, it's easier to do, it's exciting, you can have nice graphics, you can have some music, and you can have a map, you know, with little icons of Snowden running around. And, um, so, I mean, I do think that some media outlets are talking about what you've just brought up, but I, I think more often, especially 24-hour news networks, They're very in love with this just larger than life, another character, a spy. Very exciting. Um, and, and so that's the other thing. You know, the story that we're given and the story that we follow is, is often the, probably the wrong story out of the three that really needs attention. Yes. And what's also coming into play again is uh, the country of Ecuador. <laughs> as apparently Mr. Snowden has also asked for asylum there, as did Julian Assange before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I found it very interesting what the immediate reaction was in the U.S. That, of course, they were like calling, <laughs> uh, 
uh, Ecuador names and uh, did you know uh, was sort of aroused from the beginning and sort of threatening the country by uh, with terminating contracts. What was the official name of that contract? You know, it was like I don't actually know. It, it's what, what, it's it's a you know a, a trade contract that allows. Ecuadorian oh, a free, free a free trade agreement for certain areas of um, trade. I don't know. Yeah, the flower business is especially uh, touched by this in, in Ecuador. Yeah. So I'm sure agriculture and mining are usually big on that list. Yeah, and 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 some senators brought this up and were <laughs> threatening, and, and and the reaction of Ecuador was, "Yeah, screw you! You know we are terminating ourselves. Well, you, you, how dare yeah. you? You know threatening <laughs> us." Yeah. Uh, Ecuador is really marketing themselves in a cool way these last few years. Like, <laughs> like when you think of freedom, think of Ecuador. When you think of shelter, think of Ecuador. Yes, uh, and that's pretty interesting. I mean, you know, very few nations have been brave enough or managed to do it. You know, we used to think Iceland might become that place for journalists, and and maybe it still will. We don't know, but Ecuador has stepped up in the meantime, and using the old, you know, diplomatic. Uh, Uh, rules and and codes, including you know the respect for an for an embassy, and and you know that it's sovereign territory. I'm wondering, you know, where is the most comfortable Ecuadorian embassy? Because I don't think it's London. I think that's it's just it's decent, probably, and it's been upgraded. But I want to know where is the most comfortable one because I would head there. Uh, but Ecuador has put itself in, an, I mean, on the map in a major way these last few years, and uh, it's amazing that it's them out of anybody else. It's them. Yeah, not not even uh, Venezuela or Cuba. I mean, there's not not a lack of enemies for of the U.S. on this yeah. planet. But yeah, I don't know. It's uh, the way of uh, Mr. Korea, and uh, of course he's going to take some heat in in the country for uh, these actions too. But so far, that's how the story develops. Yeah, yeah. So we will see, and you surely will hear more about Snowden. Uh, and perhaps the spy, uh, you would hope more about your privacy and that sort of thing. So, you know, there, there could be more investigations and, and just following the lead of this leak, um, really looking closer at these programs and questioning how they're run, everything we've sort of brought up, how they're run, what they do, and, and is this okay with us as people? So we shall see. Now, we have been away so long. How long have you been away? So long that we missed the beginning of the Turkish protests, which again are another old news item, uh, though and, still and, alive. And, and, and the end, well, there's no real end to it, but the no. escalation, sort of. Yeah. We missed the escalation of the We did. We, I think we missed the climax. That's, that's just my opinion, my observation. Uh, but many people will remember that uh, uh, it started in uh, a park Gezi near Taksim uh, in, in Istanbul, where I was just last month. I just missed out. I left a few days too early. Oh. I didn't know. Nobody told me. <laughs> and, uh, and I was so focused on Syria. Uh, you, uh, you could have hugged trees. I could have. Ah. And I know, I know where that is. But oh well. It's great to see these places that you know and to see how, you know, I've, I've stood in Taksim and found it to be quite boring. I mean, except maybe at night when people are hanging out with a drink. But it's great to see it look so exciting and mean so much more than, than it has in recent history. So um, that's where many of the, the but it's not the only place, but that's where many of the, the confrontations between police and protesters have, have come. Uh, they've also been going on in other cities. I've, I've heard from friends who are traveling in Turkey. Uh, I've heard from Turkish friends as well. And, uh, you know, this is not an Istanbul-only thing. Um, 
Some will say it's a left thing versus right, but even that is debatable, especially in Istanbul, where it's not so much about a specific political party, but it's been about the whole culture of big business, shopping malls, yes, uh, privatize. You know, uh, we've we've brought up issues here where Turkey is, you know, building floating power plants and, and just doing very well on some large-scale business projects in the country and out of the country. But what that doesn't tell you is how's life for regular people. And if you start digging around, you will find, as we see now from these protests, life for regular people is not okay. Um, it may look pretty, as Istanbul does, but it's actually a, a, a very difficult situation and with some questionable decisions that are made in favor of some versus others, in favor of big money interests. And so people who are part of this protest, uh, whether they're left or right or center or not political at all, are definitely annoyed with how the, the, the city, the country is going, the direction that it's going. Now, some might want more, more religion that's possible, but, but many are also annoyed with, with new restrictions connected to religion. I've heard that a lot in Istanbul. And we even had before this mass protest, we had the, the making out and kissing in public uh, protest to, to sort of act against this new ban on public displays of affection. And these are all small examples that have led up to something very big. Meanwhile, I find that it's become quite routine. I mean, it's been a while since the story started, and now it's quite routine. There have been some interesting initiatives, and that's what you have to do, I think, as a movement. The standing man protest I really thought was impressive, where people just stood and they didn't look like they were protesting. They just stood. Mm -hmm. and, and other people just stood. And you saw these amazing images of people just standing. And I, I think it's very confusing for police who expect, like, fists or maybe rocks or, or whatever. And then the, all they encounter is people just standing and staring straight ahead, not saying anything. Um, these are interesting tactics. And Turkey is definitely a place that you can look for for more creativity when it comes to protest. Um, so it's not over by any means, and I wouldn't, you know, I, I'd hate to say anything like that to my Turkish friends, especially who are very committed to this, but I do find the climax has passed. It's hard to tell where to go from here when you're facing such a powerful entity like the Turkish government and, and the people who support the Turkish government because they exist. Um, this is a tough uh, nut to crack. This is a tough rock to move. But uh, it's amazing that they've, they've started and they're working on it and they're dedicated um, so, so who knows what happens from here, but they've also started to inspire, uh, protests in different places in, the, in their country and beyond the country, because I'm, I'm looking more towards Brazil right now. Uh, and maybe we hold off on Brazil for a second, if, if you want to say something about Turkey, but yeah, they're inspired. Yeah. That, that might be true in a, in a, in a way this protest uh, sort of continues the, the Arab Spring in a way uh, and at, at a place where you didn't expect it to happen. I mean, Turkey uh, uh, through all the uh, Arab Spring was sort of like the shining monument, you know, like, yeah, why don't you just copy our way, you know, yeah. uh, uh, things have been working very well for us and it was this general um, situation where Erdogan was sort of seen as the reformer, the one who was bringing the country forward. And in a way, he did. I mean, on uh, the yeah. economic scale, this has worked really well. But while growing, while gaining more uh, of these uh, possibilities, there's also already a question or still the question of uh, do personal freedoms also gain power? And mm. they didn't. And instead, it was... Uh, Erdogan's government who sort of tried to actually decrease the amount of freedom 
to a country that was, you know, is mm. used to a secular way of life and so on. And it all culminated because uh, of this Gezi Park. And, I, and again, there's this place, you know, uh, in mm -hmm. the city that becomes a symbol of protest. Uh, we've seen so many of them. Yeah. Tahrir and so on. And yeah. um, <laughs> I don't really expect a lot to happen right now. I don't really think that these protests are going to make a difference very soon. But apparently, this has been a first for the Turkish community. It's been the first time that they have actually stood up to the way it goes, you know. Everything was more uh, directed at the Kurds, at other problems outside Syria, and the, the internal problems, uh, when it just comes to the personal freedom, wasn't really a big topic. And I mm. guess... Like the protests, I mean, it's very difficult to compare, but in Germany in the 68 uh, uh, times, you know, that was also something like this. It was like young people awaking and, 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 and you know, not agreeing anymore with the old way of life. But then it took another 10, 50, 20 years until this really led to something. But it all couldn't have happened if there wasn't this this point of culmination, this 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 riot, you know, yeah. and um, to me, this uh, events had a similar quality yeah. to them. But That's a great point. You know, it's a process. It's a process, and this process has started. Yeah, and uh, you know, meanwhile, because uh, I, I find this to be very connected, but over in Brazil. And it makes big news here in Portugal, um, perhaps because it's gotten extra loud the last two weeks that I've been here. Um, in Rio, but way beyond, millions of people have taken to the streets and been protesting against government policies. Now, it started with a, a hike in bus fare. It became more expensive to take the bus, and people came out to protest that. But actually it became, again, one of these symbolic... Uh, protest that becomes about bigger things, issues that have been boiling for a while. So that became about uh, um, benefits, access to services. You know, while Brazil gets so much international attention these days, and a lot of rewards as well, uh, if it's a reward, I don't know, the, the World Cup, the Olympics, uh, they're even doing the Confederations Cup, which is a very big uh, football tournament right now. Yeah, but that's and tied to, to, the, uh, to the World Cup. So, yeah, and, yeah. And, the, and the question becomes, while all these new things are going up around you, and we've covered here on News of the World some of the um, evictions of, of indigenous people uh, in, in favor of building these new things for these international events, you know, the question becomes, what are you doing for the people, the people of Brazil? Uh, the economy may look great from the outside, but how is it for, for regular people who are making this possible? And it's, it's been interesting. The protests are huge. Um, and actually the, the president, Dilma, has been, I mean, in many ways forced, but it's nice that she actually responds, having these meetings, uh, even called for a constitutional assembly of some kind. I'm not sure if that means immediately that there'll be some change to the constitution, but at least that they're looking into what is wrong and what can we do to, to address some of the demands of people because, yeah, they have a point and they're angry. <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, this is what happens when a country gets 
some economic success, but that, you know, whose success is it? And just because it looks good on the international level, how does it look for, for on the ground? Uh, so there are huge protests. They've been going on for a while, and there is also a response. And and then the question is, you know, what will be done? I mean, for begin for, for starters, the bus fare will not go up. It is going back to what it was. Um, but this is about a lot more than bus fare, and uh, and it's huge. It's nationwide in a country that is quite significant in the region in the world. Uh, it's amazing to see. And many have said they're inspired by Turkey. They're inspired by the Arab Spring. Um, and uh, things are not okay. It's amazing, you know, we, we have so many of these very general protests that come with a list of grievances, not just one. Yeah, but the, the reaction by the Brazilian government has been very different to the one in Turkey. I mean, Mr. Erdogan is sort of saying, like, uh, you're all terrorists and I hate you <laughs> yeah. and go away, and they're definitely not going to go away, and this is uh, probably sort of, he, he has sort of, you know, prepared his end. It's not sure when this is, but he's, he's done, you know, he's... Yeah, there's no. He's not going to gain any any more significance. Uh, it's yeah. just going to decrease. While in Brazil, and I and I guess uh, I haven't really followed this that closely, um, but my impression was that it really makes a huge difference that this whole World Cup thing is about to happen in a year. You know? mm -hmm. it's not yesterday. Mm -hmm. It's in a year, and this is probably the biggest thing ever for Brazil. You know, it's mm. because football is just like the the biggest thing, and then the biggest thing is happening there. That's yeah. just everything. Uh, it's definitely more important than the uh, Olympic Games for mm -hmm. them. But it's going to be there, and then everybody expects the world to look at Brazil. You know, and how proud they are of all the developments and so on. And if they wouldn't have done. Anything to calm down these protests, this <laughs> would have become very ugly. Uh, and I think everybody knew, knew that, and, and, and that was sort of forcing the hand. But on the other hand, mm. I also have the feeling that there are parts of, from my understanding, maybe you can shed some light on this, but from what I read is that most of these corruption problems, especially related to uh, building of new stadiums and so on, are more a problem of the regional level and not so much on a federal level. And that the federal government was sort of, you know, trying to behave slightly better, but that it all failed on a on a regional level. That's a very outside uh, view. Maybe you can tell me more about what the actual problem is that people are complaining about. Or what well, I think it's, it? hmm? it's, it's known that, I mean, the last... <laughs> This is the same party that's been in charge uh, under Lula, right? The PT. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, a, it's always a strange thing when a party that is very much the alternative, the protest, becomes the institu institution. Mm -hmm. And initially, when Lula came to power so long ago now, I think more than 12 years ago, um, it was, you know, a new day and uh, end to corruption, end to cronyism, and more representation for both the poor and the indigenous. And then... He was hit by several corruption scandals. And I, I don't even know the details of all these corruption scandals. I just remember that the PT government, by the time Lula was out or on his way out, had a lot of, of accusations of corruption and even some convictions. Now we get the sort of uh, descendant of that government, a continuation in many ways. So I, I think a lot of people are looking at them and going, you're from what was already a corrupt 
You were not supposed to be. You're supposed to be different. You're supposed to be alternative. You're supposed to be of the people. But you had corruption then. You're still corrupt now. I, I think that people are very disillusioned with what, what was once a champion of the people. And uh, I, don't, I don't know that, that the federal level is any better than the state level at this point. Um, it's supposed to be. And it, it, it is interesting that still now the government, and you point out one good reason why, you know, with all eyes on it, um, but the government does respond to people's demands. You know, I, I sometimes think that people within the Brazilian government realize, especially members of the PT, that they have become the institution and, and they do have problems and they are not you know, good representatives the way they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's plenty of others that don't care and want to just carry on and, and do well for themselves and, and stay in power. You, know, you want to stay in power. But uh, I, I think that, that people are very annoyed, very generally, at corruption and what it takes away from, from people who need uh, everything from access to education, access to health services, transportation, cities that are creating environmental situations that are very bad, and everybody knows it, from, from air to, to you know, where the garbage goes. Um, so I, I, I think the list is long, and the government, uh, in one way or another, it is, it is related to government corruption or or just not being uh, very efficient in doing what it's supposed to do for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and maybe they didn't see this coming because, uh, I don't know, maybe they, you know, the, 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 it looks good, there's some benefits, football, entertainment for the masses. And I, I'm not sure that they saw this coming at all, actually. So, and I think it will carry on, actually, for the rest of the summer. I think we're going to see big protests. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, what will come of all these meetings and all these uh, statements that they're going to do something? Yeah. Uh, because if they, if they don't, it's just going to uh, happen again and, and, and more eyes will be on the country uh, the closer the World Cup is is yeah. uh, is approaching. And I think, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do, but if I was the president, <laughs> I would mm. know, like, we have to get this off the, the tablets and off the table somehow um, yeah. this year. Yeah. Because otherwise we're not going to get rid of this whole story during mm. the whole next year until, no. you know, World Cup is, is done. Yeah. And that's definitely well, something they don't want. It's a great time to be a protester in Brazil. <laughs> Absolutely, Maybe. yeah. Unless you're getting hit, then no. Okay, next then World no. Cup, Turkey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it becomes a tool. Interesting, interesting concept. Yeah. Uh, let's go EU. We've got some EU news the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't often get these uh, new additions to the club, uh, any of the clubs, but uh, we've got a few this summer. Uh, first of all, uh, existing EU member Latvia uh, is joining the Euro, uh, which is uh, the first new addition since, I think, Slovenia. And uh, they're being touted as the model for austerity. Uh, of course, anytime anyone tells you this is some good austerity, er, austerity you know that, um, uh, well, it, it, it may actually not be good. Austerity is one of those words like, it's good for you. No, no, it's horrible for you, actually. And, and it gets thrown around so much. Uh, but so Latvia will join the euro. Some people saying, great, it's going to be awesome. I've read a lot of economists saying, whoa, this benefits nobody, not Latvia, not the EU. Uh, we're not healthy enough to do this, and yet we're going to do this. Um, 
Latvia has done that thing that the EU wants so many countries to do, and, and I mean, I'm here I am in Portugal where they're trying, which is to reduce the budget deficit to, usually it's a very low, uh, like 1% or, of the total GDP. And so, of course, a country goes and cuts everything possible, privatizes everything possible. Latvia, of course, a small country, has done it. And I guess the EU and a lot of financial observers are going, nice job, you know, now you're ready. But there's an underside to that, of course, you know, at what price? Uh, you know, how, how is life in the country? How is it going to be in the next few years now that they've cut and cut and cut and privatized and cut? Um, but either way, new member of the Euro Club, so no need to exchange your Latvian your, your rubles. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Currency. <laughs> your dollar, ruble. Yeah, things, good question. Yeah, I don't pounds. know. Pounds. If anyone knows, please tell me. Um, <laughs> I'll look it up. And uh, while we soak that news in from Latvia, we've got news from Croatia. We're, I guess we're three days away here. Uh, Croatia is joining the European Union. Uh, it is time. Uh, the second nation in the former Yugoslavia to become part of the European Union. And, uh, of course, again, a lot of people going, yay. Other people going, uh, why? No, bad. But uh, it's happening. I mean, it's been a long time in the works. I remember these conversations since 2007 that Croatia would be joining. Uh, it's not a shock. What is interesting, uh, especially now that I have these contacts in Serbia and in Bosnia, I immediately get emails from several organizations telling me that, by the way, this now means the terms for Serbia's joining of the EU get reviewed, rediscussed, and I, they say there may even be a timetable, but at any rate, there's going to be some new discussion about Serbia coming into the European Union and, and you know, a question of when. Uh, I, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm confused. I'm, I'm a lot of things on this. Um, but uh, this is all sort of the dominoes as they fall. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, both these events. First of all, the, the overall feeling was that nobody ever wants to join the euro anymore. <laughs> Because it's That's just a, 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 a big mess, and then here, uh, Lat here is Latvia and saying like, eh, yeah, no, no, we still, you know, want that, you know, because we still think it's uh, uh, it's an advantage uh, for us. And on the same level, it was like, oh yeah, nobody really wants to join the EU anymore because it's you know just a big <laughs> mess and, and, and cause a lot of trouble and you know you're getting into big problem. And then there's Croatia and saying like, no, 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 that's actually what we want, you know. Um, not so sure how people would decide if you just like go on the street and ask now under the influence and whatever, um, uh, whatever news there is. But uh, yeah, they, these countries are still uh, taking this road, and I think they know why they want it. Yeah. But by the way, the Latvian currency, I believe, it was called the lots. Yeah, lots. That's lots. Lots. Not locks, like when we, we like to eat, but lots. <laughs> um, I did notice in Bosnia, where I was not, not just a few weeks ago, um, there was this, uh, this reoccurring conversation, and you'll hear that in a lot of former uh, Yugoslav republics where there was war, that they would like to be part of the European Union. Like that would, it's believed, you know, this image, that life would just get better. They would kill this corruption that's been ruining things. Um, and you yeah. hear that, which is amazing because they don't even want to be, some, in some cases, part of the country. You know, you may have a breakaway republic or you may be, but you would want to be part of the European Union. You just don't want to be part of the same country as your neighbor. That's uh, <laughs> sort of ironic. It is. It's, it's really ironic. And I mean, that, that the EU prevents corruption, I think, 
that does just doesn't. I mean, just go to Italy and just you know have a look at What? Hungary and What? Uh, oh yeah. Oh, I'm shocked. Yeah, we're shocked. Other shocking yeah. news come well, from. Yeah. This is from Colombia, uh, and I've seen a few mining stories the last few weeks, uh, especially in the gold world. The price of gold finally, uh, I mean, I'm not a, a, a faithful follower of gold in general, but we've known that gold has been getting more and more, uh, uh, the, the price has been going up over the years as, as the world's economy has been going worse. And uh, that's, for the first time, sort of been shaken recently, where it's come down a little. But um, I was shocked to read, uh, and this is on mining.com, one of my favorite mining uh, information sources, um, that in Colombia, uh, gold mining is actually more profitable than cocaine for, for the FARC. Now, traditionally, we, they, there's a lot of discussion about the, the role of drugs and rebel movements and cocaine in Colombia mm -hmm. and funding the rebels. But it's actually gold... Uh, and, and what comes from so-called illegal mines, which are, you know, of course, not supported by the state, uh, that provides Colombia with, with uh, I'm sorry, Colombian rebels with uh, most of their income. Uh, they even break it down. Now, let's see, a, a kilogram of cocaine can sell for 2,570 bucks, dollars, while the kilogram of gold can fetch 19 times that much. I didn't do the math. Just 19 times. Yeah. Uh, so it's impressive that, that gold becomes the chosen drug in the jungle. Yeah, it's uh, very impressive. Also because you can't really grow gold. Mm. I mean, it's not, not really right. a renewable uh, source. <laughs> so I, I, I wonder how, how many of these kilograms are really easy to, to, to get in uh, Colombia. Yeah. Hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting and... Uh, you didn't know that you can't grow gold. No, no, that part I knew. <laughs> <laughs> this is not news to me. But the okay. other part, uh, that it, yeah, the difficulties of perhaps getting that gold uh, is something. Um, I also just never hear much about rebels doing mining. But when, actually, when it breaks down to it, there are like 6,000 mines in Colombia, which is, of course, a massive place that are uh, so-called illegal mines controlled by rebels. Yeah, I had no idea the rebels had so much control. It's probably not the rebels actually doing the mining. It's probably more rebels letting other people do the mining for them. Mm. Mm. And then paying a fair wage? Yeah, totally. Oh. <laughs> that's what they do. That's, that's why they're rebels, yeah. you know, because well, they it's, and it's, fight for the good stuff. What I was looking for in this article and I didn't find is, you know, some discussion, although I guess it's largely um, symbolic right now, but is this whole, you know, we know that the FARC has been, uh, I think, in decline. You know, it's, it's, it's not as strong as it used to be. It's hard to measure that, of course. Um, and, and so it's also curious when I hear about what their money sources are and how profitable they can be uh, because you, you combine that with a decline in power. Uh, it's it's I don't know it doesn't quite add up or or maybe this is just the money they could make if they had the gold if they mine more yeah uh, but it, it yeah and we we have also failed to uh, you know uh, stay on track with the developments of this peace talks before right. be, uh, between the FARC and the Colombian government which we have yeah. announced half a year ago yeah. and uh, who have been taking place uh, in a way yeah. but. Yeah, um, no news on that. No, Not and I, actually, I think they just go so slow that there's no news. Yeah, <laughs> you know, probably. Yeah, 
We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, another issue that we'd like to keep an eye on, and I, and I felt the need to definitely bring up this week, uh, I mean, every week I'm seeing the stories coming from not just Syria, but of course now Lebanon. And I, I really don't want this to happen, but that's not about what I want. Um, there have been more activities related to the Syrian civil war going on in Lebanon, uh, some of them not not completely uh, related to the war, but somehow connected in other ways. So first of all, there was a um, a bus, and this one was actually in Beirut, although Beirut, a big city, so we're not talking about the center of the city at all. But uh, a bus full of Syrian folklore singers was attacked uh, by a group of what I think was about 20 or so people uh, with knives, uh, and it seems to be connected to this sort of you know, that they were seen as enemies somehow, depending on what side the attackers are on with the Syrian conflict. And then big news, especially following Twitter, as I have here in Portugal, following news from, from Lebanon via Twitter, um, was the Lebanese army did this big campaign near Tripoli to get a cleric that they say is a radical supporter of the Sunnis in Syria. He's been a, a very outspoken critic of Hezbollah. And uh, his name, his name, where's Ahmad al Asir. Ah, Asir, yeah, yeah. And uh, and they, you know, it's it's amazing when it, you know, the police can't do it, so you send the military, and they demolish a building almost, and they still can't find the guy. Um, but they're going after him because he's seen as causing trouble. Uh, in this case, as a supporter of the Syrian rebels. Uh, but some people say this is the attempt of the Lebanese army to say, you know, we not, we're not going to have this conflict in our country. Mm-hmm. But it, it would seem the country is the, – the conflict is already there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it seems like every week there may be news stories. I'm, I'm hopeful that, that they won't be uh, – well, that it won't happen or it happen less. But uh, so many people seem kind of to have given up on the idea that, that war won't come to Lebanon. Uh, I haven't. Yeah, and now with countries um, turning up the volume on, uh, you know, uh, military support for the rebel groups, right. um, this is just going to become worse. Yeah, yeah. So more on this very soon, uh, unfortunately. Big news out of the U.S., and this one came just a few days ago, so this is more in the new news category. Uh, the Defense of Marriage Act and Proposition 8 have been struck down by the Supreme Court of the United States. This was one of the big, if not the biggest, uh, Supreme Court case uh, going on this summer that people have been waiting for. Uh, This means that, uh, according to the federal government, same-sex couples have the same benefits as... uh, 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 different sex couples, heterosexual couples, uh, and that in California, gay marriage is legal. And uh, this is a huge deal. Uh, It's been so strange that gay marriage is illegal in a place like California that's so often seen as as open-minded. This also makes it possible, though it doesn't mean that it's a reality, for gay marriage to be legalized nationwide. The truth is it's, of course, still up to states. Uh, It was a five-to-four decision, uh, again, showing you how even in the, the Supreme Court, uh, people are very divided on this issue and, and just so scared to, to do anything in some cases. So it was a five to four decision with the uh, Anthony Kennedy, one of the older judges, uh, giving a nice statement where he said, uh, there is an inv- evolving understanding of the meaning of equality. 
And uh, <laughs> he believes that the public, uh, nowadays we understand that it is unjust to deny equal rights to same-sex couples who wish to be married. So that's big. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the joy can be seen on social media everywhere. Um, I know people who are who lost their partners over the years to to well old age and and, and disease and uh, they're they're really just you know feeling I don't know pleased or or finally justice you know finally comes and they're finally recognized as having been married or being married so it's uh, a big day in the U.S. for that and of course a lot of people are angry but I think more people are happy. This was all caused by one of those. People, as you just mentioned, uh, an old woman uh, whose partner yeah. has died before and she was actually getting a lot of money. Um, from They were together 40 years, yes. yes. Yeah, and she didn't, right. right. And uh, she went to court because she had to pay, um, you know, other taxes on this. Yeah. Uh, and, and this sort of caused this. I mean, just to get our uh, definitions right here, Defense of Marriage Act is sort of like a, a, a federal law that was more or less preventing same-sex marriages on, on yeah. some level. And this Prop 8 is a California right. um, legislation that sort of stopped something that was already in place. What, what was the story yeah. behind it? Prop 8 uh, made gay marriage illegal in California. It came up as a, a referendum. Oh, yeah. Proposition. Mm-hmm. So it was actually that people had voted to ban gay marriage, which was a huge shock. This would have been I feel I don't have it in front of me, but I feel like this was the first Obama election when this this came up, which was a big surprise. You know, such a great moment in terms of uh, Democrats and 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 maybe open mindedness. But um, and then you had the Defense of Marriage Act or DOMA, and that was. Uh, to my knowledge, a, a, a one of these acts that says marriage is between a man and a woman, and we have to defend it. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> was actually stemming the from title. the Clinton era, but was sort of uh, was 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 um, possible because of a Republican majority in the Congress. Yeah, was I haven't followed yet, but I've heard that the, the DOMA came around the time of Clinton and then was used. It wasn't meant to be for this, and then it became used for this. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's first of all, it's amazing that it ever happened, and and it's even more fantastic that it finally is struck down. Um, so is this yeah, uh, yeah. sort of the last word on this? No. Uh, the problem is states have a lot of power. And the Supreme Court, well, they may not want to touch this for a little while, which is a good thing if you're, if you're in favor of gay rights. Um, mm-hmm. it, I, to me, it's a little bit like abortion. You know, they have this very famous Roe versus Wade, and they never, there wasn't one immediately after that reversed Roe versus Wade. You know, this was a, a big decision that they weren't going to just go back on. So this is not the last word, but this could be the word for the next. 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's, that's significant. Um, California is, is for me a, a, a strange place where you can always have a new proposition and I really don't know how you ever slow that down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we, yeah, I have a proposition. We want socks. No, no, we have a proposition against socks. All right. In three years, we have a proposition against four socks again and just socks get banned mm-hmm. and unbanned all the time. <laughs> Not that marriage or socks, I'm just saying. Um, so I don't think this is the last you'll hear of it, but this is the loudest statement you'll hear, especially from the federal government. It's pretty significant. Okay. 
Yeah. States will have to evolve at their own pace or, or through other pressure. So we're ending I, this show yeah. not without mentioning a new news source. Yeah, I brought a news source uh, this week, the Bruegel blog, uh, which is as nerdy as it sounds. <laughs> um, people that have ever done anything in Brussels – Uh, especially related to economics and finance, will have heard of Bruegel. Uh, it's a European think tank with a focus on economy. Um, I know that it's nonprofit, and I also know that it's supported mainly by reader subscriptions. Um, the writers, there's no like Thomas L. Friedman, you know, Joseph Stiglitz, but there are some maybe future Stiglitzes on there, uh, academics, economists, And it's one of these blogs that I don't read every week, but I check out, especially when I know, like, you know, Latvia joining the, the Euro. You can go there and read uh, analysis about that, um, especially in a time where you have all these financial decisions being made about banking. Cyprus and banking is still a topic they discuss on their, on their website. I like the blog. Uh, the organization itself does put out publications. I don't read them. Maybe I should, uh, but my, my friends in Brussels, both in and out of uh, the European Commission, they keep an eye on the Bruegel blog. There's a sort of love for it and a respect for it. Um, so I, I recommend it, especially if you want to try to understand some of these complicated and frequently underreported um, decisions coming out of the EU when it comes to money. Mm -hmm. So that's my recommendation. I, I follow the blog. Uh, they do a couple of other things. They do some videos. They do some data if you're into data sets. Um, but I'm, I'm more into just a few blogs written by different contributors. They have a long list of contributors that you can read about. Um, so that's also interesting. You get to hear from different uh, types of commentators from different countries in the EU and outside. Great. I yeah. put it into our news sources list or archive page for exactly these sources, so you can just look it up. Uh, yeah. Look up everything we have mentioned so far on newsoftheworld.com. Yes, indeed. And uh, looking forward, Tim, uh, what's, uh, what's, what do you got on the agenda for the month of July? Uh, it might be holiday-related in some kind, <laughs> but I'm not really going to travel a lot. I guess um, more thinking I'm going to spend summer in Berlin because mm -hmm. it's so weird, you know. Finally, the weather is good and then you leave your city. That doesn't really make sense. I should probably focus more on, 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 on wintertime. But apart mm -hmm. from that, I'm just um, using the time to work a lot on our uh, Potlove project, which has been a big focus of this year. Uh, we've already achieved a lot, but we really want to achieve even more. And uh, yeah, I have to do some infrastructure work, so nothing really exciting, no talks, no uh, nothing of that kind to announce. Uh, will you be coming over for Hacker Camp to the Netherlands? Uh, even that is still yet undecided, but okay. I might show up eventually, but I'm not You know, it might be, uh, uh, I don't know, yeah. undecided. Okay. I will be at Ohm. I will be at Ohm. Okay. I will be speaking at Ohm. I'm still working on the, the topic and so forth. But uh, that's when I return to the Netherlands. But meanwhile, I'll be here in Portugal. So, so we, can, uh, we can produce some more newses of the world. Okay. How long are you going to be there? I'll be here until the end of the month. So almost till the start of Ohm. Ah, okay. End of the month of July. Okay. Well, maybe I'll come visit you. <laughs> that you're very welcome to. Okay. 
Ja. Okay, so right. that ends this uh, news of the yeah, world thanks. edition number 53 and I really hope we're not going to take another four weeks to get to the next episode. I think we're back. We're back oh, again. Full strength. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye. Right.